This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Today's episode is with Ben Fast. In recent years, Ben has dedicated a lot of his time to educating American soccer fans about the most important issue we're facing as a soccer nation. Specifically, how one policy cripples American soccer, from the national team all the way to nine-year-olds. What is it? U.S. soccer not creating a true soccer pyramid with promotion and relegation. That's it. You want youth development on par with the rest of the world? You want our top flight pro teams at the level with the best in the world? You want the national teams to consistently be legit World Cup contenders? Well, we need a soccer pyramid like the rest of the world where the best can rise and the mediocre get punished. Those last few lines were taken from a blog post written by Gary Kleiben that is available on 343coaching.com, and you can find a link to that article in the write-up of this podcast. You can also find links to connect with Ben on his preferred social media platform, which is Twitter, and you can just search for him if you want to. His uh, his name is Ben Fast, and his Twitter handle is at BWFast. But like I said, there are links to his profile and ways to connect with him or find more information about promotion relegation on 343coaching.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. I'm sure that you can just hit a subscribe button. Uh, you can also help other people find this show by giving it a five-star rating and review wherever you are listening. This podcast is powered by the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program. What is that? It is an online university that provides ambitious coaches with the best soccer coaching education for a fraction of the price of other licenses and courses that are out there. The 343 Membership Program uses its own powerful and proven methods to teach you how to coach possession-based soccer. Using 343's simple and effective tools can help you unlock your true potential as a coach and therefore unlocking the true potential of your players. It's a program that I have personally used and fully endorse because I saw the results on the field. After implementing the 343 material, my team started to dominate possession, boss their opponents, and completely control the game. This program has transformed the way that I coached, and it can do the same for you. When you sign up, you'll receive instant access to videos of real training sessions that will guide you through the powerful core activities that help build the foundation for playing possession soccer. You'll also get access to real match footage, ebooks, audio lessons, recorded classroom presentations, and videos of on-field clinics. But that's not all. You can ask questions, share ideas, and accelerate your learning by tapping into the nationwide network of 343 coaches using the exclusive members-only forums. That's right. There's this community of online coaches. Thousands of coaches have chimed in over the course of multiple years in the, inside the membership, and you would be shocked at how much has been asked and how much has been answered in those forums. It's, it's literally a goldmine of information. Um, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about the benefits of becoming a 343 member, or you can just go to 343coaching.com and you can sign up and start learning today. So yep, that's it. Uh, once again, that's 343coaching.com. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation about the most important topic in American soccer. And I hope that you enjoy my chat with Ben Fast. 
All right, cool. Um, well, let's uh, let's start with an introduction. Tell people tell people who you are and and, and where you are, where where are you where you work from, or where you call home, and and maybe maybe describe a little bit about why people might know who you are already. Yeah, so my name is Ben Fast. Uh, I'm from Minnesota. I was born and raised here. Um, always a, a big fan of American soccer. Passionate about the game. Uh, involved in all sorts of different things from you know, just being a, a fan to playing for a number of years. I still play at the, you know, the men's amateur circuit level. And then also I've uh, been involved with coaching and a little bit of club administration as well. And um, yeah, a few years ago, say around 2013, 2014, um, just from, from being on social media, seeing people, online talking about American soccer, I, I kind of connected all the dots when it came to the root cause issue in our system and how uh, our problem is that we have you know, a closed system. We lack an open market um, and we need a you know, promotion relegation system so that all people in all clubs in USA soccer have a you know, fair chance to compete. That's the one piece at the root that we were missing when I compared American soccer up against the rest of the soccer world, particularly the most successful nations. So I guess I had always, I'd always uh, had seen the dots on the page, but I'd never fully connected them. And then seeing a few uh, key figures on social media, like uh, Ted Westervelt, soccer reform. And then of course, three, four, three, um, it really, you know, brought an epiphany uh, to my eyes, and uh, from there, I just figured, hey, you know, why not be a voice add to this you know, education and awareness task we have now? And uh, there's really been nothing that's been more captivating, you know, that I've seen. I, I'm always, I've always been passionate about USA Soccer, wanting to see us do well from a club and country standpoint, and of course, I love helping people and. I'm passionate about coaching youth as well in soccer and it, all three of those seem to mesh together. And so um, now I'm just trying to help bridge the awareness and education gap using uh, the great, uh, the great internet and social media platform we have today to uh, just to spread knowledge and try to loop as many people in as I can to this uh, conversation for an open USA soccer system. Yeah, you, you touched on it real, real briefly, but but helping to educate others is uh, is a big part of of this entire movement. I, I always struggle with what to call it, but we'll we'll call it a movement for lack of better terms. Um, that's kind of based on promotion and relegation. And what I'm curious about is probably uh, relevant to a lot of people that are actually listening to this right now and that are just joining the conversation on social media about what promotion relegation is and, and trying to understand it. But thinking back to that 2013 or 2014 um, timestamp that you mentioned, do you remember any time when, when you started or, or when you kind of pushed back against the idea of promotion relegation, like a lot of people tend to do when they first join the conversation? Or do you remember a time like when you thought like, Oh, like, you know, that is an issue, but it's not the biggest issue or that's, that's not, you know, that's not any of my concern. Do, do you remember having any of those thoughts before you kind of went all in on, on this idea? No, to be honest, at that point, it a hundred percent clicked. I was all in it. There, it 
there was no conceivable way I could disagree with it. Um, and that's what was you know, so awesome about it. But um, funny enough, before that point, uh, I used to, you know, be on like soccer message boards and such talking about USA soccer. And um, I've always been, I was always like, Oh, you know, let's, rooting for MLS basically like, Hey, you know, if we can get soccer specific stadiums built, if we can get, you know, more clubs up and running, maybe we can compete then. Um, and so, um, I'd always, I'd kicked around in my head a few times, uh, you know, like an idea of like, Oh, okay. Maybe if we get enough MLS teams, we could do a system where we have MLS one MLS two, and eventually, you know, build down from there. So I had thought about before, but I'd never connected the, you know, the promotion relegation surface level, uh, with the actual ramifications, you know, beyond just the sporting competition mechanism. Um, so I connected it to the socioeconomic levels and all of the you know, systemic issues we have in American soccer. So, yeah, once I fully, you know, saw the whole picture, then, uh, yeah, I was totally all in. I mean, it's, it's, it's a no brainer for me, honestly, at this point. Yeah. And, and I feel like a lot of people are still, um, like when when they're still joining the conversation, they they come in at that point that you kind of mentioned too. Like, oh well, you know, maybe if uh, if we have forty MLS teams, maybe maybe that'll be the like the tipping point. Or um, if we have more teams in in more time zones or more markets, like maybe that'll be the tipping point. And and then they start to learn a little bit more. And then this is this is something I've, I've mentioned too is that I only see people moving in one direction. Like uh, they realize like, oh, you know, maybe maybe having more MLS teams isn't the answer. Maybe it's this. I don't, I don't see people going from like, once they understand what promotion relegation is and, and all the benefits of it and, and how it's kind of not kind of how it, how it is like the most instrumental piece of the puzzle in, in, in global club soccer. Once they realize that they don't go back the other way thinking like, no, 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 no. We only need 30 MLS teams. That's it. Like I, I don't see movement going that direction. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I always say that um, if you somehow could table this issue with every single American soccer fan out there today, so I wager we have at least 30 to 50 million soccer first fans in America. If you ran a poll with every one of them today, uh, 85, 90% would be like, oh, that's a no brainer. USA soccer needs this. They just, they've just never considered the question before, like I was before 2013, 14. Um, it just had never been formulated fully um, in my head. But, but here's the key piece that really, if I could distill uh, the, the question of promotion relegation for USA soccer down to one thing that really made everything click. So I had always bought this myth that American soccer Soccer is a niche sport, a baby sport here in America that we don't have all of the necessary ingredients to be a world soccer superpower. But then when I, you know, just through the help of others and just investigating myself, when I took a took inventory of our landscape, I realized there is nothing that we lack here. We have everything we need. We have um Let's see, 24 million soccer players it is, I think, as of FIFA census. I think that was back in 2006. So even if that's off by a few million, that's still an astounding number. That's that The number of soccer players here alone uh, eclipses total populations of some great soccer nations in the world 
today. And then you look at our infrastructure and our wealth, we're, we're number one in that. Um, and if you just survey what we have here, this, the, the crippling myth right now today in American soccer for most USA soccer fans is this myth that comes kind of out of the box that people naturally believe is that we don't have all the tools that soccer is, is swimming upstream. The only difference here that maybe uh, perpetuates this myth a little bit is that we have other big sports that are also competing for a share of the pie. But when you look at our total population of 330 million people, there's enough room here, enough population to have uh, a big USA soccer alongside big college football, alongside uh, you know big NFL, alongside NBA. So that shouldn't be a, a problem either way. And that's kind of the one part I think that people get hung up on is that, uh, you know, oh, we have all these other sports and it's going to be impossible for soccer to, to grab a number one share. So, so that was the one thing of just, just understanding the realities of our soccer landscape and how we have the tools, we have the ingredients. We're just missing that one piece at the very top that can pull everything together and uh, just unleash the game, essentially. Uh, the tagline always goes, we just need to take the leash off and let people compete. That's all we're missing here. We, we talked briefly before we started recording about your experience in the tech industry and some other, you know, some other work outside of soccer that, that also kind of clicks with, uh, with the way that you, I think, see American soccer. And, and I'm just wondering if you can maybe speak a little bit on, on what you've seen in other industries and the growth you've, you've seen in other industries or other companies that, that is kind of hand in hand for, for what you want to see for American soccer or, or what the dream would be for, for American soccer. So I don't, I don't know where, where you can go with that, but I have a feeling you might, you might be able to connect a couple dots for people with, with something along those lines. Yeah. And I would say that sport and soccer, USA soccer, it's an industry just like any other. So we can't have this disconnect between, oh, that's just a game, that's just sports, and then, oh, you know, the tech industry, the auto industry, uh, those are real money-making ventures that, you know, better people's lives, that create jobs, that create GDP. Uh, there's really no difference whether it's a game, or whether it's soccer, or whether it's manufacturing. Um and if you look at the American dream and the American success story and how we've, how we've arrived at where we are today as a country in all sectors, um, it's because of you know, open market policy that uh, has allowed us to uh, you know, be world-class in all different areas. And now if you just take that, transpose it onto USA Soccer, and see, hey, what's what's the missing piece between us and the rest of the soccer world? It's simply that open market mechanism that instead of reserving opportunity for a select few, like if you, you know, use the cell phone industry, if you gave Apple exclusive D1 sanction over the cell phone market in USA, well, what's going to happen? Apple's quality is going to lag and then everyone else is not going to be able to compete. And so in the end, it's the consumer and the industry as a whole and the product that suffers. So uh, you, you look at all sorts of industries and you see the templates laid out 
um, in terms of you know open access model allowing everyone to compete. Competition is the key, and if we can simply unleash the restrictions, we can have that same thing in the American soccer industry. And um, it's also this is an issue that is more than just about is more than sport. It's there are real life implications for people uh, in this issue. Um, you, you know, you're talking about people putting food on the table at the end of the day as well. It's not just about the wins and losses and the trophies. Uh, there are real jobs, real uh, you know, GDP creation aspects at play here. And we can do a lot of social and economic good for the people of America simply you know, by taking our sport and, and flipping it upside down, thinking about it in a new way, um, just using the same open market principles we use in all other sectors and applying that to our sport and particularly soccer. Uh, what you just mentioned, man, is is uh, top of mind for me because I'd been thinking about the way that U.S. soccer policies impacted the way that like somebody like Rocco Camiso could run his business. Like they they limited the amount of growth that Rocco could have with his business, New York Cosmos, and so he hit a ceiling multiple times. Like he he not just like you know tapped his head on the ceiling he banged his head on that glass ceiling of of second division soccer in the united states multiple times um operating in nasl and you know that that lack of opportunity to grow beyond that point coupled with all of the other you know off-field battles that that you know that that ensued ultimately led Rocco to invest elsewhere. He, he, he went and took his money out of American soccer and then dumped it into Italian soccer. So that's the, that's kind of like the, like you mentioned, like the GDP creation and, and the, the real world aspects of this and, and not just trophies and things like that. Like that was, that was hundreds of millions of dollars that could have been injected into American soccer that is now somewhere else, which is really disappointing. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's sad to see, and you can see the hunger that America has as a, as a whole for authentic soccer, whether it's at the investor owner level, um, all the way down to coaches, to players, to fans. Uh, we're just dying for uh, a piece of that global soccer success story here. And uh, it's just, it's, it's kind of sad to see how, there's this gigantic soccer following. There's a ton of investment here that's going uh, overseas because that's the only place where we can find the authentic product. So you mentioned Rocco, and then you, you just look at U.S. TV audiences for uh, you know the Mexican League and for European soccer. Uh, it's off the charts. You see foreign soccer friendlies come here to America over the summer, and the attendance is bonkers. Uh, we, we love soccer. I, I'd wager right now that soccer may be the number one sport in America. Um, it's, it's, I think it's certainly in the running. It's just, it's just hard to see it because it's so scattered and, and fragmented. But um, soccer is huge here. We've got to face that reality. We've got to understand that. And then from there, we just have to work backwards and say, well, what, then what's going wrong here? How can we leverage a passion for soccer, all of that potential investment, uh, how can we leverage that for our own game first? Put our American soccer product first, prioritize it instead of just you know letting it uh, sit as a sideshow to 
you know, the authentic version of soccer around the world. No, 100% man. And something that, uh, always fascinates me is that, uh, people say that some of these other sports are, are, you know, global sports are big around the world and blah, 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 blah. The funniest one that's, that I've ever heard was that, um, Jersey sales replicate like how popular a sport might be. And somebody mentioned that Odell Beckham Jr. has the, the most, um, or the highest selling Jersey in the United States. And I was like, that's, that's absurd. I've never, ever, not once seen a kid wearing an Odell Beckham Jersey, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Jersey. But every single day, I just walk down the street and I see Barcelona gear. I see Real Madrid gear. And and more often than not, I I see uh, almost every single day, somebody wearing uh, a Messi Jersey. So to say that, um, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. jersey is the number one selling jersey in the United States. To me, that's just absolutely ludicrous and, and not true. And then I think that also is a testament to how powerful the, like the brand, um, Barcelona's brand, Nike's brand, uh, Lionel Messi's brand, and, and soccer just in, in general in the United States, um, you know, is really just kind of, uh, I don't know, undervalued maybe. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but just, just misunderstood is probably another thing too because the – the sport itself, soccer itself, is massively popular in this country, and, and whether whether or not people want you to uh, to believe that or not. Yeah, and again, just back to the whole point of how it's fragmented here, and it's kind of hidden. Uh, analogy I use is that American soccer, it's like a giant iceberg where only the, the very peak is sticking out above the surface. And that's kind of all we're seeing right now. But if you you know, drain the ocean, you'll see a gigantic iceberg of USA soccer support beneath. And it's just, it comes down to understanding the landscape and knowing where to look. So I take, you know, the Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota area here, for example, we're about, about the 18th largest metro area in the U.S. So it's a pretty big metro area. And you kind of, you have this sort of default, sort of a, the white suburban, you know, pay-to-play youth traveling soccer demographic that I guess comes to mind first, you know, people that support MLS. And then you've got kind of these other communities in the area that are just kind of separate and hidden from the main, you know, sort of the mainstream um, soccer demographic. So you've got like the, the Latino community here. We've got you know, the African American community. You've got the Asian American community, these giant cells of uh, soccer support. They have their own adult leagues, youth leagues, um, but it's completely disconnected. And so when we look at American youth soccer today, when we look at MLS and our other pro leagues, it doesn't give an accurate picture of the true USA soccer mainstream demographic. It just kind of shows sort of the, the white suburban slice that all really only makes up a small minority percentage of our actual USA soccer mainstream. If you did the legwork and pulled it all together. So yeah, it's just no, but kind of knowing where to look and it's, I can see how it's so easy for people to buy that myth of, that soccer isn't that big here because what we are seeing is a USA soccer federation MLS 
Uh, it's a system that is essentially targeting and catering to just a small demographic. And it's systemic, too. It's, it's, it's real policy that is you know, limiting participation, uh, both from a financial aspect and just a, a pure access um, level as well. Ben, I'm going to, I'm going to get into some uncharted waters for me. I'm not, uh, as much as I like to think I'm, I'm well versed in this entire conversation of promotion relegation, I still have a ton to learn. Um, and I still have a ton to learn about just, you know, the greater political aspects of everything as well. But what you started to mention is like policies from, from us soccer and, and, uh, the relationship with us soccer and major league soccer and and things like that. It just, this is where, where people I think really misunderstand what's happening. And to my knowledge, nowhere else in the world are there the types of partnerships between like federation and then entire leagues, um, that, that have their franchises, 30 franchises, um, underneath them. And, And, and that in itself creates the first division that nobody else can enter into. So, I guess where I'm where I'm going with this is something that we talked about before the the call started recording was in the tech industry you mentioned that there's not as much regulation there's a there's a lot more freedom for companies to kind of build and grow and and do as they please and in American soccer it's it's, it's the complete opposite where it's extremely extremely regulated and and the doors are not just closed, but just like airtight with with multiple multiple locks on them, and, and you can't you can't even break into the industry without having uh, access or, or um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for permission from from American soccer, U.S. soccer um, government. And so it's like you have the the tech industry, which is booming and creating companies like Airbnb and Uber and. Um, uh, all kinds of other, you know, whatever services, Instagram, Facebook, Google, all kinds of things like that. And you're seeing massive growth there, but little regulation. And then you have soccer, on the other hand, that's not seeing growth. Um, and, and see, I'm, I'm, this is where I get uncharted waters, I guess. Um, it, it, not seeing as much growth as, as we potentially could, I, I think is is a better way to put it. And then you have extreme regulation. So what what do people need to know about that? Or, or like you've mentioned a couple of times, what do people need to start noticing or looking for in that to, to really start to understand the difference between, you know, a real open market versus what American soccer actually is right now? Yeah, it comes down to what is the role of government and what is the role of a governing soccer federation like the USSF? Um the role of a governing soccer federation is to uh, protect the rights of its constituents. So its job is to be a watchdog to make sure that at the start, everybody has a fair chance, a seat at the table. So one club, one vote, essentially. Um, so whether you are Manchester United, one of the kingpin clubs in your nation's soccer ecosystem, or whether you're a 10th uh, division Sunday league team, you're still one club at the end of the day. And so that's the role of our governing soccer federation is not to pick the winners or losers, not to decide which group of owners, which group of, of teams, which company is the winner in the ecosystem. Their job is to just uh, cr- first create the structure, 
create the open markets that independent clubs can move up and down through like a ladder and then to make sure that that system is not infringed in those essential rights. So I think we just need to remember that key point that the role of governing soccer federation, U.S. soccer's job is to just create the pyramid and then essentially get out of the way, but keep watch to make sure that we don't lose these fundamental fair open market freedoms. And Ben, if you, if you had to point people to the best resources or the best pieces of information for people to, to educate themselves about this, uh, again, for lack of better terms, this movement, this promotion relegation conversation, what, where should people be looking for, for information and, and who or, or what are some of the, the best things out there for, for people to research? Um, to be honest, right now, the leaders, as far as the most critical voices in this movement, again, it's a movement of the common people, I say, because the mainstream USA soccer media and uh, you know, all of its members, they're essentially beholden to the business model of MLS. Since US soccer has declared MLS the winner in the American soccer ecosystem, anybody who wants to make a penny in the industry, put food on the table, has to speak in the interests of MLS and their business model. So you're left with an independent soccer media, grassroots soccer media, common people deciding that enough is enough and using their own independent platforms, leveraging the power of social media, leveraging the power of the internet to you know, start their own blog, start their own YouTube channels, even just social media accounts. It's the same as you know, posting articles on a site, use those platforms specifically uh, Twitter is the most effective platform. It's the, the greatest level of open access there is, and it has a great reach, particularly for you know, grassroots causes and movements. It's been really effective for the promotion of the University Soccer uh, movement as a whole. Um, as far as voices, the two main ones I would point to are, are 343, um, that uh, you know, the blog and, and Twitter accounts, and um, Soccer Reform. Those are the two main ones that I'd say these are your leaders. For me personally, those two accounts are kind of the standard bearers of my own uh, philosophy when it comes to this uh, open system movement. I think, you, you know, as far as uh, the nuts and bolts of, of, of what we need, I think these two accounts have, uh, have everything spot on and, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the two places I point to. You also would encourage people to make their own voice heard. This is a movement of common folks, as I mentioned. So it's only going to happen. This change is only going to happen unless if it's only going to happen if common folks decide to just stand up and say enough is enough. So uh, do whatever you can to produce content. So whether it be website, blog, um, YouTube channel, social media. Make your voice heard, even in person, telling people word of mouth, uh, creating banners for your local lower division club team's game. Um, it's, it's, it's all just a conglomeration of a bunch of supporters, U.S. soccer fans, individuals that are ready for something better. We are tired of repeating the same old cycle of mediocrity. We are tired of you know, having a small mind when it comes to the future of American soccer. We're ready to dream big finally we've had enough decades of 
of treading water. It's time to move American soccer into its rightful place of, of one of the juggernaut soccer nations on the planet. Where can people connect with you? Where, where can they find you either on social media or if you're, if you're writing any, any extra thoughts, where can they find that? So you can find me, uh, my website is ben-fast.com. Uh, write a little bit there and uh, also find me on Twitter. That's sort of my main social media presence. Find me at BWFast there. And um, also on Facebook, I think it's also facebook.com slash BWFast there. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. I have a bunch of videos there, just kind of evergreen content on the nuts and bolts of American soccer and why we need an open system. Um, the best way to find me there, just do a search for Ben Fast on there. You'll you'll run across my stuff. Um, but yeah, those are the, the main platforms and uh, yeah, make your, contribute your voice. I don't want to be the only one speaking up for Ted Westervelt or, or 343. We shouldn't be the only one speaking up. We shouldn't be, you know, the, the Three Musketeers uh, should be uh, everybody. Your voice matters just as much as mine does. So I encourage you to be a leader and content producer in your own right. Uh, don't just silently hope. Um, make your voice heard and say enough is enough. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate your time, and I think that there's a lot to uh, a lot to digest here. And when people want, they they should definitely connect with you on social media and take a deep dive into into all the content that you've produced over the years, man. And I appreciate you saying the kind words about about the work that we've done over the years too. That means a lot. Absolutely, I appreciate what you guys do. You guys have been an awesome you know, for my education personally in American soccer. Three four three has been invaluable. So keep doing what you do, uh, like you. Like you guys say, you're sort of the standard bearer of what American soccer um, can be. You represent the global standard. And I guess one last thing I would say is that um, people need to know that everything's all, it's all connected. And I think one article that inspired me from Q43 was, I think it was titled The One Policy That Affects, that handicaps the U.S. national team all the way down to nine-year-olds. And and that, that was a big piece of sort of my epiphany. It was like, hey, you know, see all these symptoms that people are complaining about, whether it's uh, pay to play or, uh, you know, popularity of American soccer or how do we improve our, our coaching or our individual player ability. It's all connected to this one root policy. So I guess that's another takeaway I would say um, is that understand that these symptoms we're seeing, it all comes down to one root. So let's stop complaining about symptoms and let's start addressing the actual root cause. Uh, exactly, man. It's like treating a fever, not the cancer. And, right. and people need to understand that all those conversations, not that they're meaningless, but they're, they're, they're almost meaningless. If you don't, if you don't drill all the way down to the root cause and right. you're, you're not going to fix um, you know, coaching education and player development and all these other things without, without drilling down and fixing the root causes of all that. And, and without, without doing that, you're just, you're like a, a, a rat in a wheel. You're just, you're just spinning, going nowhere. So precisely. All right, Ben, well, appreciate your time, man. We went 10 minutes over than, than what I told you. So thank you for, for, uh, the 30 minutes and let us know if there's anything, uh, we can ever do for you, man. Awesome. Time flies. I appreciate what you guys do, and thanks for having me on. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks.
All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 Coaching Education Program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.